We have a handout for you this morning, and I want to make sure that every one of you gets that. So if you didn't, these guys, these fine-looking young men, um, are going to make their way back. If you would, just raise your hand if you did not get a handout. And uh, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. The Scripture says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Now, what is he talking about just happened? He said, After this, after what? Well, John was given this prophecy about the seven churches. This, And we know now, having been 2,000 years removed from the giving of this prophecy, that these were actually literal churches, but also representative of church ages in, in the New Testament church. So the last 2,000 years. And he says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And so we know this is a picture of the rapture, that the church is going to get raptured up before the tribulation. And uh, the scripture describes it this way, there's going to be a fullness of the Gentiles, and that's going to be brought in. And there's going to be a time when the last person in this church age trusts Christ as their Savior, and then we are going up out of here. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, this corruptible will put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality, and we're going to be changed in we will ever be with the Lord from then on. So verse number three, or verse two, and immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. It's pretty cool. It's like a fully green rainbow. That's kind of neat. Emerald's my birthstone, by the way. So it's going to be particularly special to me. Um, Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And if you were here with us last, Wednesday, last Sunday night, we looked at how Jesus Christ is the, the only one in the universe found worthy to take this book and to open the seals. That he is the root of David. He is the bright and morning star. And he is, those names are describing how he is the fulfillment of, of Old Testament prophecy that Jesus Christ would be the Messiah and be our Savior. And so he is the one worthy, found worthy to take and to open that book. Now, the seals, um, if, if you go into chapter 6 and 7 and you begin to see the seals opened, they're, they're the next prophetic events that happen on God's timetable and God begins to pour out great tribulation on this earth. That's what the opening of the seals accomplishes. What I want us to focus our attention on today, if you go continue with verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Now, don't let that creep you out. What it's speaking thereof is God's omniscience. The Bible says, All things are open and naked unto him with whom we have to do. You cannot hide anything from God. God says that he searches the hearts and the reins and he knows the thoughts of men. So these seven eyes, it's simply speaking of God's ability to know everything. 
Because in other passages of Scripture, when you run cross-references, those eyes, his eyes go forth into the all, all the earth. They run to and fro and they see everything. The Bible says there's nothing that can be hidden in that darkness that he will not bring to light. Can't hide from God, can't run from him. So verse number 7, And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And what you notice in verse number 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Let me ask you, what is the greatest song you've ever heard? It's the greatest song. Just think in your mind, what is the greatest song you've ever heard? There is coming a day, if you, are, if you know Christ as your Savior, that you're going to sing one of the most amazing songs that you're ever going to have the opportunity to sing. How many of you would say, yeah, I don't even like to sing in the shower. I don't like singing at all. Please just let me go read a book or something, right? There's coming a day in which you will have a, for some of you, it'll be a supernatural ability. (laughs) You'll have an amazing ability and an amazing opportunity to lift your voice and sing one of the most amazing songs that only as a redeemed human being you have the opportunity to sing. You and I will have an opportunity to sing a song that the angels don't get the opportunity to sing. Now, they sing songs. It actually continues in this chapter, and we might have time to look at that. But you and I have the opportunity before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and before an amazing heavenly audience to sing and testify about the work that Jesus Christ did in redeeming us to God. Let's look at this song. What is the greatest song you've ever heard? A couple of things about this. How do I know that this is believers? How do I know that this would be Christians? Well, in verse number 8, he says, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts, and the four beasts are spoken of. We don't have time to, to run those references to see who that is today or describe more about it. But it says the four and 20 elders. So there are 24 elders here. And we talked about this a couple Sunday nights ago. So I'm just going to give you a very quick recap. The reason that the 24 elders here in Revelation are representative of church age saints are these three reasons. First of all, their activities around the throne of God are described in Revelation 4 and then also here in Revelation 5. What they're doing in chapter 4 is, if you look at verse number 4 of uh, chapter 4, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their head crowns of gold. And what they do is, we actually, they cast those crowns before his feet and worship and fall before the Lamb and worship him forever and ever. So, a couple of things. The name elder is never given to an angel in all of Scripture. So they're not angels. We never read in Scripture of angels sitting upon thrones or wearing crowns. So this company cannot be angels. The Christian in the body of Christ is promised crowns. And my plan is tonight, if um, you're not in the discipler meeting tonight, so and I forgot to mention, Pastor will be back tonight. So the discipler meeting, that's going to happen downstairs. But if you're not in that meeting, I plan to look at the five crowns that as a believer you could be rewarded with at the judgment seat of Christ. So... And what has happened here is these elders with these crowns, the judgment seat of Christ has happened. That's where they got presented with them. 
and they give them back to the Lord. So then the, uh, the Christian is the one that is promised crowns. The apostle and his fellow believers are told that God has made them kings and priests. Uh, that's there at the end of Revelation 5 and also in Revelation 1, 6. And uh, then secondly, we also see this company clothed in white raiment. This is the garment of a priest. And so he said they're kings and priests, but an Old Testament priest never wore a crown, never sat upon a throne. So they cannot be Old Testament saints. These are members of a royal priesthood, which are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And then number three, in the majority of biblical references, an elder is the representative head of a nation, tribe, family, or city. So take, for instance, in 1 Chronicles 24, there were 24 priestly courses under the old economy. David found 24 heads of priestly uh, families and made them representative of the whole priesthood. So this, along with the fact in, in, that in the New Jerusalem, the 12 foundation stones are the apostles, while the, are the, of the apostles, while the 12 gates are named after the tribes of Israel. So I know that was a lot of information. Hopefully you were listening fast because I know I was speaking fast. But the 24 elders are, it's the church age saints. <laughs> right? And so uh, we've looked at that. Now, what is it that we are going to sing before the Lord? Verse number nine, and they sung... First of all, it's a new song. Uh, this is kind of cool. This is one that we've not had the opportunity before the Lamb to sing before. So, you know, God likes a new song. He likes to hear that. A new song saying, first of all, thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. So point number one in your hand out there, very easy. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. There is something that these saints, there is something that we will believe and recognize about the Savior and that is he is worthy to take the book and open it. Now, when you look at the opening of the book, it's that tribulation, it's that judgment that's poured out on the earth, but Jesus Christ is the one worthy to do that because he's holy, he's without sin. Uh, I have the reference there for you. John five twenty two. the scripture says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Jesus Christ is the one worthy to take the book and the open the seals thereof. And then, if you look in verse... Revelation 5, 9, and they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, colon. You see that? And so he's going to add more information to what was just said. Why is it that Jesus is worthy? Well, for thou wast slain. Thou wast slain. That's number two on your handout. And if you would go with me to Matthew 27. And you know, there are just days, there are just times in your Christian life where it is really profitable it's really good to just go back and think on that day when jesus christ was crucified all that he went through for you and for me this lamb in revelation he appears as a lamb that had been slain and i want us to look at the death of jesus christ matthew chapter 27 and verse number 11 the scripture here says and jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered, Nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. And we know the Bible says he committed murder and then insurrection. Verse 17, Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. 
That right there, you might write in your Bible, right next to that verse, Acts 7, verse 9. Acts chapter 7, verse 9. Do you know who else? Do you remember who else was delivered for envy? By his brethren? Joseph. Joseph. Joseph is, a, Joseph is an amazing picture of Jesus Christ. And here you can cross-reference that in Matthew 27, 18. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. The Jews delivered him for envy. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. You see how she calls him a just man? Over and over and over and over again. You will see these people, they have nothing. They have no reason to crucify Christ. The Bible says he was without guile. He was without sin. He was uh, as a lamb led to the slaughter. He was just innocent. And she said, have nothing to do with that just man. Jesus wasn't dying for a cause that he believed in. He wasn't dying for some wrong that he had done. He was unjustly condemned. Verse, 19, uh, verse 20, But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release on you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto him, What shall I do then with Jesus which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Now, wash your hands as you will, Pilate, but you will stand and answer for this. And many times people try to make no decision about Jesus. You can't make no decision about Jesus. You either believe Him or you reject Him. There's no middle ground. Verse 25, Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. That's an amazing thing to say. Verse 26, Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him, and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. You know, no doubt, especially young people, no doubt you've seen somebody be bullied at school or somebody just make fun of somebody else. Can you imagine watching this crowd? Now you say you're the king of the Jews. He says he's a king. And he just lets them beat him, whip him, plait a crown of thorns and just jam it on his head and take a rod and hit him with it, put a robe on him. Have you ever had a, a bandage on a wound and the blood coagulates and then you peel that off and what happens it reopens that wound can you imagine having the flesh ripped off your back they put that robe on him and the time in the time that they're mocking him that blood begins to dry and 
then they peel it back off of him, reopening those wounds. And then they put his own clothes on him. Verse 31 says, And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon, by name him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. This week, my wife and I were driving down I-75, and there was an accident in the northbound lane. And we were headed southbound. And what happens in the southbound lane when there's an accident in the northbound lane? Everybody watches. It's like you think there's accidents on both sides of the interstate because everybody's jamming on their brakes. What do they want to do? And, you know, the ambulance was there. There was a stretcher out. I mean, it was a pretty serious deal. And the guy in front of me in this little car that I just wanted to run over six ways to Sunday, just I watched him. And you want to go, what's the road? Curious that here you have our Savior and he's on that cross. And what do they do? They just watch him. I wonder what thoughts were going through their minds. They just watched him there. Verse 37. And set up over his head his accusation written. He was a thief. He was a fornicator. He was a robber. Is, is that what he was charged with? This is what he was charged with. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And what do you and I say? Amen to that. He is the king of the Jews. That's all you've got to crucify him with? Verse 38, Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. Man, teenagers, you ever been in trouble? And some older person or some adult, they saw you get in trouble and they just go, and you're just like, you feel the double shame of that. You're like, oh man, I really messed that one up. Here with our Savior, they just look at him and they revile him. They wag their heads. I just can't believe. Verse 40, And saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. And you know, many skeptics, many atheists today would say the same thing. And they say, If he's God, why doesn't he just come down here and show himself? That question's been asked over 2,000 years ago. That statement has been made 2,000 years ago. Verse 41, Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. I want you to think about how, who, who all did Jesus save? I mean, think about this. He made a man lame from his birth walk. He took people that had been blinded their whole lives and made them see. He took Lazarus who had been dead for more than three days and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. They knew the miracles and they said, he saved others. Why doesn't he save himself? If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. And I would say, no, you wouldn't. Because sin is a heart problem. You don't need to see anything else to know that there's a God. 
You don't, God doesn't need to show Himself to you in any other way than for you to look out and see the sun and moon and stars. Day after day they uttereth speech. Night unto night they showeth knowledge. There is a God. He is real. Let Him come down and we'll believe Him. Verse 43, He trusted in God. Let Him deliver Him now if He will have Him. For He said, I am the Son of God. Verse 44, The thieves also which were crucified with Him cast the same in His teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land and about the ninth hour and about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And if you would, hold your place there with me in Matthew 27. We'll be right back. But I want you to see, we've looked at the outside, what's going on in this crucifixion. I want you to see what Jesus is experiencing on the inside with me. And it's amazing how God reveals this to us in Psalm 22. We're going to pick this up with that very statement. And we're going to see how everything that Jesus Christ is going through is an amazing fulfillment of prophecy. And God peels open the door and allows us to see internally what is going on with the Godhead and with Jesus Christ. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O that thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and, and were not confounded. I mean, how many, think about how many times in the Old Testament get, did God deliver His people in a supernatural way? But He says in verse 6, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of, all, of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have, have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths and as a ravening and a roaring lion. And I believe personally that that was the spiritual side, the spiritual warfare that was going on, that those devils were just there waiting for that Jesus to be crucified. Verse number 15, or verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Could you imagine feeling that way? I mean, you know what it's like to get a sprained ankle. Some of you, you dislocated a shoulder. Imagine it all being out of joint. What is Jesus is coming undone. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt. And my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones they look. And stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be thou not far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. If you would, turn back with me to Matthew chapter 27. We've seen the crucifixion of Christ. 
and the blood that was shed. And then just the internal struggle and the agony of what was going on. And you see the fear compounded and and the mockery and the effect that it was having on the Lord. And he says here in verse number 50, Then Jesus, when He had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after His resurrection, went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with Him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And in that moment, Jesus Christ gave up the ghost. Jesus said, No man taketh my life from me. I lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. What an amazing opportunity we have to sing about our Savior who was slain. If you would, go back with me to Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, and our text says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. Have you considered the crucifixion of Christ? As you think about what your Savior, how much He loved you, that He took your place. And Jesus didn't just take your place dying on a cross. He bore the wrath of God in that moment that you and I deserve to spend all eternity serving. Jesus Christ was slain. And that's part of the song that we get to sing to Him. When we see that Lamb and we say, Worthy is the Lamb that was, that was slain. It says not only was He slain, but what did that slaying accomplish? What did the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ accomplish? In verse 9 He says, And hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood. You've redeemed us. He redeemed us by paying that price. And so redeem means to purchase back, to ransom, to liberate or rescue from captivity or bondage. So think about this. We have a a God who is without sin that suffered immense external physical torment and horrible internal torment. But why did He do that? To buy us back. To get us out from bondage. You say, well, what was I in bondage to? You know, that question's been asked before. Just about any question that's been being asked today, somebody else in the Bible asked it. Look at John chapter 8. This is interesting. John chapter 8. Jesus Christ redeemed us to God. To, To redeem is to purchase back, ransom, to liberate or rescue from captive, uh, captivity or bondage. John 8, Jesus here is speaking. And he, verse 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, If you continue in My word, then are you My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, I love how the world loves to quote verse 32, but they never add 31, verse 31 to it. Right? The truth will make you free. Yeah, uh, where are you going to find the truth? With what Jesus said. Verse 33, They answered Him, we be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? 
Now, there are just times when Jesus had conversations with the Pharisees that you thought, you know, our pastor's line, are you taking your brain out and playing with it right now? Did you, how could you come up with that answer? So what did the Jews say? Uh, We're Abraham's seed and we were never in bondage to any man. Okay. Let's have a Sunday school refresher. If you are 10 years old in here, would you raise your hand? 10 years old. Okay. All right. We'll we'll put our 10-year-olds to the test here. The Jews went into slavery by a really powerful nation. Anybody know what that nation was? Let's give that young man a hand. Yes. Egypt. This young man knows more than this Pharisee did. Uh, we're Abraham. See, we were never in bondage to any man. Okay. There was this country called Egypt, empire, world power, led by this guy named Pharaoh. Or if you're in freshman, it's Pharaoh. Okay. And it was for over 400 years. It, it, it wasn't one of those, uh, it wasn't like, you know, like people are debating, you know, the Korean War, it's a conflict. It, okay, it was a war. Uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't disputable. It wasn't like, oh, well, it was only kind of like for six weeks. I don't know if I'd consider that bondage. I mean, you were in bondage. And look what Jesus Christ says about this. Verse number 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So again, the world loves to quote, you shall know the truth, truth will make you free. Free from what? Free from sin. Okay, so read the verses before and after it. So here's the deal. As people, we have all sinned. That sin, whether you're a man, woman, boy or girl, enslaves. It brings you in bondage. It always takes you captive. Though Satan has prettied it up to make it look like you're the one still in control of it. But you're enslaved. Second Peter on your hand out there. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 19, the scripture says, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of, a whom, uh, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought in bondage. So sin, it enslaves. Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse number 15 there. Romans 6, verse 15. Uh, actually, we'll need to read verse 14. Romans six fourteen. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. So again, he's answering that idea like, well, if I am under grace and I can do anything, still go to heaven, why don't I go out and sin? And he goes, hey, dummy, you're not under that anymore. You're not enslaved to the sin, so why would you go out and live in it? Right? Verse number, that was kind of the, the dummy part was me adding that. All right. Know ye not, verse 16, that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. You see, there are only two things you can be enslaved to. Either sin, which leads to death, 
which we are all under the penalty of, or obedience unto righteousness. Verse 17, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but that ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So how does this tie into what we're talking about? Jesus Christ, when we sing that song, we're going to say, You are worthy to take that book and to begin to open those seals. Because thou wast slain. You were the one that was crucified. You were the one that was spit upon. You were the one that was mocked. And then you, you bore God's wrath for our sin. You were buried and you rose again the third day to redeem us to God. And we will be singing choruses and verses about how we have been bought back. How we have been brought out from underneath the captivity of sin. And when you and I, you can study it out in Revelation, when people from hell are cast into a lake of fire, we're not in that bondage. We're not under that penalty. That penalty is a second death. And that's the result of sin. But because of His obedience and His righteousness that by faith is given to the believer in Jesus Christ, we're brought out from underneath that penalty. And so what do we sing? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Because you've redeemed us to God. And we're not under that penalty anymore. We're redeemed by His blood. 1 Peter 1.18 in your handout, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition uh, from your fathers. Listen, your church membership, no amount of money, no amount of service to God can save your soul. But verse number 19, But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Acts 20, verse 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which He hath purchased with His own blood. Psalm 49, we don't have time to look there, but he talks about how you can't redeem your brother with money. But there's one that's going to redeem him from the grave, and that is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 7 there, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Colossians 1.14, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So you see, there's a result there that knowing that I'm saved, knowing that I've been ransomed, I've been redeemed, I ought to live for Jesus Christ. I'm not my own. I've been bought. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for how many? Again, it just blows that Calvinistic doctrine out of the water that Jesus only died for the elect. He gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And so 2 Corinthians 5 says this, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. We all need a Savior. You get that? If He died for everybody, that means everybody needed Him to die for them. And that He died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. All right? So if you would go back with me to Revelation 5, and we'll connect this. Revelation 5 and verse number 9. The Bible says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast 
slain. As you consider the what Christ went through, does that motivate you to, to live for Him this week? Does that motivate you to serve Him? Because He wouldn't have done that if He didn't love you. He wouldn't have done that if He didn't care about redeeming your soul because that's what it took. Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. I know it's in the handout. You just begin to think about people all across this planet that have been saved and washed by the blood of Christ. You think about where it all started. Philip goes out with the Ethiopian eunuch. God sends Peter to Cornelius in the Italian band. You know, that's the Star Wars band. Uh, God sends Peter to the Cornelius in the Italian band. Let me ask you, would God send you somewhere in a geogra- different geographical location to tell someone about him, about that lamb that was slain? Young person, then you got your whole life ahead of you. And maybe one of you, God would call to the mission field. Maybe one of you, God would call to a, a big inner city here in the United States and, and just to get the gospel to tell people about how he's given his life to redeem them. There will be people from every kindred, tribe, people, nation, and tongue. And we get to be a part of that if you know Christ as your Savior. But this morning, I've, I've talked about sin and, and being saved. And just let me make it as clear as I can. We have, we're all sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You cannot be good enough to get to heaven. Jesus died to pay your penalty. He died in your place. And if you will believe that, confess your sin and repent of that and ask Him to save you, He will. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'll stick around. My wife will be here after the service. We would love nothing more than to take a Bible and open that and show you how you can escape the penalty that you owe for your sin because Jesus already paid it. And then believer, sometimes you just got to stop and look back at what Christ did for you to be reminded that He proved once and for all how much He loves you, how in control He is. Think about how in control God was of every aspect of His death. I mean, from the parting of the garments, he knew it was all going to happen. The deception by Judas and betraying and then coming, bringing back those pieces of silver, he knew it was going to happen. And he was willing to do that. And he would have been willing to do that if you were the only person that needed to be saved. That's how much he loves you. Man, we have a great Savior. You know what you can do in your car on the way home? You can sing a new song. You know what you can do this week? Maybe you don't have the greatest voice in the world. Welcome to the club. You can just sing and praise God because someday you're going to be so overwhelmed with gratitude, thankfulness, and awe that you'll be singing then. So why don't we sing it now? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love.